0: Church, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are just so honored and thankful to be in your house, to enter into your presence, to worship with your people. Um, I don't take this lightly or for granted. I thank you. I ask that it's none of me, but all of you, that your people hear your word that you have prepared for them today. I thank you for each and every one of them, your children, Father God. We thank you and we honor you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Well, good morning, New Hope. Man, I never take this lightly. It's always such an honor and a blessing to to speak God's word um, in front of God's people. Um, You were the smart churchgoers. You waited till it warmed up a little bit before coming out to church. So amen. Hallelujah for that. So we've been in our series titled He Is. And Pastor Reagan started it off the very first week with um, Jehovah Nisi, God is Our Banner. And that's been the foundation of this series. And then he spoke last, last week on Jehovah Jireh, God is Our Provider. But before we get into it, I got a quick question for you guys. Anybody, anybody here Christmas Eve service? You have anybody here that came to our Christmas Eve service? Okay. So for those of you that didn't, there may or may not have been a video of me blessing my kids with an early Christmas gift a week early. Yeah, some of you guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in, 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 in sake of just showing you the video again, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. So I'll put this picture up here and you guys can get a glimpse of how it went. Please take it down. I don't want to lose them for the rest of the service. I'll, I'll lose you guys for the rest of the service. Um, so obviously they didn't take my practical, pragmatic gift too well, Um, and neither did you guys based on the booze that I received from the stage from my brothers and sisters in Christ. I was able to um, go through and review all your hate mail, all your concerning text messages. Um, Thank you, Pastor Joy. Um, But I would be remiss to tell you that they did have a very blessed Christmas. There were smiles on their faces. They truly, truly enjoyed it, and they had a good time with it. So you don't have to call defects. Um, no partnering with a Partnering Hope family. Um, all that's taken care of. So it's funny, though. I can't take all the credit for that. Like all that wasn't me. I would be remiss not to give credit to my loving wife, my partner. She's probably looking like, I don't want credit right now. Don't give me credit for that right now. And it's funny, a guy told me before I, um, the very first time I came to New Hope and was about to speak, he says, when you get on stage, always thank your wife, always give her credit. You don't want to speak in absolutes because there's some times where you, you just don't want credit for that. And, and so it, it's funny, I didn't know this, um, My wife and and a lot of girls, they have this idea of how their life will look in the future. They have this idea of this knight in shining armor, just swooping them off their feet, how their marriage will look, how their partnership will look, two and a half kids, white picket fence, um, wearing matching sweaters for holidays. Um, finishing each other's sentences, all these type of things. I mean, and even all all the way down to like decorating the house. Like I didn't know they dream of this stuff. They draw this stuff. It was weird to me. Like decorating, like the wall to me is just paint and a big screen TV. That's all we need, right? That's all that matters. And so in the house, she's really the heartbeat of the house. We'll We'll have decorations even for the different seasons. Like every season there's something different because that's her passion. That's her love. All the way up to even how our bed looks. And so on our bed, there are these pillows. Yeah, 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 yeah. So single guys, you don't know what I'm talking about, right? You think pillows are just for the bed that you sleep on, right? No, 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 no. When you get married, you'll find this out. There are these pillows that you cannot touch, that you cannot sleep on. And there's these two big ones, and followed by these medium ones and these small ones, and they're just there for decoration, And so one day I come home, I wanted to take a power nap, I guess I had been up late the night before, maybe we had like a city group at the house and I just needed a power nap to hit the the rest of the day. I move the pillows to her side of the bed, I take my nap, all is good. A Couple of hours later, I get a text message saying, hey, next time can you not put the pillows on my side of the bed? And I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm just joking. That's why you never want to communicate over text message. I'm just joking. And sarcastically enough, I said, hey, the best way to solve the problem is to get rid of these useless pillows. And then nobody was, yeah. So in that moment, I wasn't the partner that she had envisioned when she dreamed up. When she was thinking about this, in this moment, I wasn't that person that she said, man, this is what I was looking for. This is what I was desiring. I actually fell short in that moment. And you guys ever have... Those moments where it's somebody in your house, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a child, and you have this tension in the household where you've come through some type of heated fellowship of argument. Now, everything in the world, you want to just go up and hug them and end it, but this pride is welled up, and you're walking by like you guys are strangers in the house, like, hey, hey, what's up? Like, like you're really not talking. There's this tension built up in the household. I wonder, I was listening to that song in God's house, in the Father's house, there's a place for you, I wonder how many of us come in to God's house on Sunday and they have that tension. They have that built up where they don't feel fulfilled. They don't feel connected. They feel like God is absent. There's something there that's not aligned. There's a lack of purpose when they come in from Sunday to Sunday. Even apathy where they're just checking a box off by just coming to church. Some of you may even feel doubt where you come in here because you grew up and that's what you were supposed to do but is he even real? Is he even there? Is this thing even authentic? And I know that's true because it's even happening in our culture today with pastors as a lot of pastors are following away from the church and they're even in questioning the faith that they preached from the pulpit. So I know it's happening in our congregation. See, when there's this unfulfilled alignment in partnership, then there's a void. And so the title of my message today in our He Is series is He Is Our Perfect Partner. And I believe the scriptures build a case to show how God of the heavens and the universe wants to partner with us for his purpose. And from that, that's where our joy, that's where our fulfillment comes into place. That's where we don't feel this lack. That's why the songs we sing and we're so passionate about worship, we can take that Monday through Saturday because we know who he is. So I want to show you this because it's a theme that's probably not talked about when we talk about the names and the character of God. Pastor Reagan had a great slide which shows the names of God, but this is not an actual name of God. But we know that God is immeasurable, so he's not confined. There's just a list of names. His, his character right, is, 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 is numerous. And so there's this theme of partnership where God partners with creation. You see it very beginning with man and Adam we can read it right don't take my word for it genesis chapter 1 verse 26 through 27 it says and god said let us make man in our image according to our likeness i want to stop there real quick that's the first model of partnership what you see there is the godhead father son and holy spirit make man in our image in our likeness then he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over, over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So that word dominion, it basically means authority. And so you see from the very outset, from the very beginning, God gives man authority over his creation. So you see this partnership start to align. You see it throughout the Bible in the covenants, right? There's these covenant promises where he makes with Abraham. He makes it with David. He makes it with the children of Israel. He makes these promises with his chosen one to fulfill his will. And then you see it in the gospels with Jesus. Jesus appoints his 12 disciples to go out to preach the gospel. He actually, even before he dies, he sends them out to do miracles, to cast out demons. And you see this partnership align. Even after the resurrection, what does he do? He gives the Holy Spirit so that we can go out, the church today, to be empowered to create for his will. See, I believe that one of the greatest manifestations of God's power on earth is when he uses you and I. Think about it. He takes a corrupt, filthy, sinful person by nature, cleans them up, and he uses them to do great works. Like, if that's not power, church, I don't know what is. And so before we continue on, I want to get a couple of things clear. I want to get one thing clear, I'm sorry, with the definition of partnership. Because I think we've been kind of corrupted of what we think partnership is. And so partnership is God's empowerment rooted in relationship for his purpose. And so we love the first part of that. God's empowerment. We all love to be empowered by God. We love the Holy Spirit and the power of God. We love to see that works, the works, but it's not unlocked until it's in relationship for His purpose. So we can't skip ahead, right? In relationship for His purpose. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians, verse 4, I mean, chapter 4, verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, right? It's about him. It's always about Jesus. With ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. So it shows what the purpose and then it shows our role in this. Paul continues, 2 Corinthians chapter six, he continues later on, as God's partners. So Paul is acknowledging he's in a partnership relationship with God. You and I partner with God for his glory and for his will. He says, we beg you, not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. So this gift is God's grace. That's what unlocks this partnership. And he's telling you, don't ignore it. I wonder how many times that we come in here every Sunday and we know that, and we don't understand that we have a role in this. Like we have a purpose. He's seeking to use us and he's going to use somebody. I just hope it's me and I hope you hope it's you. He's saying, don't ignore it, church. So the the world would have us believe that this definition of partnership is different. The world's definition and God's definition are vastly different. You see, the world tells us we need to maximize our opportunity in partnership. We need to see how much value we can get from that other person. When you're negotiating in partnership, you say, okay, where can I get, how far can I go to get the most? You can go to a car dealership, right? They're trying to get you down. You're trying to get them down, and you're trying to get the biggest bang for your buck, the biggest value. And this concept is even—it's even crossed over into something God's designed, and it's turned into a worldly faction, which is marriage. In marriage, we try to maximize our value. We try to see how much we can get. Instead of serving, we try to be served. And that's not God's design of how he designed partnerships. So when you guys hear that, you probably think about the word like I think about the word or how I thought about it at first, partnership, business. How does it work in business? Business relationships. So the most iconic golf relationship ended here in January. I don't know if you guys know that. 1996, this young phenom, Tiger Woods, was was tearing it up. He was taking away the old guard. Um, He was winning um, amateur tournaments at that time by an astronomical number. He was just really taking the world by storm. And then this company comes alongside and says, hmm, I got a piece. I want to get a piece of that. And so Nike enters into the relationship and says, hey, we are actually very big, but we have a small part of the golf market right now. We want to partner with you in order for us to benefit you and you benefit us. So they gave him the largest Endorsement deal at the time was about 40 million dollars and they said we're going to endorse you We're going to brand we're going to brand you we're going to have these commercials We even have your theme he comes out Sunday at the Masters and it's red and it's black and it's it's very intimidating And there's this partnership Tiger keeps winning Sales keep ascending And even much so that it had me convinced that I could play golf (laughs) But my 30 handicap showed that that's not that wasn't the case and so everything was going good. Everything was going glorious until it wasn't. As you guys will know, some of you, you know, Tiger had his, his accident and his indiscretions started to come out and he started becoming the news and the tabloids. And then as he started to get older, his knee started to go out on him and his back started to go on him and Tiger wasn't winning as much as he was before. 2016. Nike said, you know what? We're going to discontinue our golf line. It's not as profitable as it once was, which culminates to now where they discontinued the relationship between Tiger and Nike. You see, Tiger no longer brought Nike value. He wasn't valuable in the partnership anymore. There was no longer any need for him. That's how the world operates in relationships and partnerships. If you don't bring value, what's the use? I don't need you. And even somebody as iconic in golf as Tiger Woods, a partnership can be broken. It can be dismantled. The funny thing is, though, church, you bring no value to God. You don't have any enhancing quality. You're not good enough. The Bible, the, the Bible says that even, even our righteousness are filthy rags. The heart is deceitful amongst all things. You're not smart enough. The wisdom of man is foolishness to God. There is nothing that you bring that's of any value to God at all. Church, God doesn't need you. But the good thing about that is you're not needed, but you want it. God wants you. He created you in your mother's womb. He he knows the number of hairs on your head. He wants you. He wants to empower you. He wants to use you. And don't you know it's better to be wanted than needed? Because we saw in the tiger story, when you don't present any value, they throw you away. But when you're wanted, there's always a place for you. In my father's house, the song says, there's always a place when you're wanted. I think about this uh, analogy, and it's this picture of this father he's outside and he's mowing the grass pushing the lawnmower and his little son is behind him uh, maybe comparable to the age of my son that you saw there and he's pushing this toy lawnmower behind him as he goes now that son is probably getting in the way more than he's helping the father's probably having to watch out for him watch your step he's bringing no value to the work of the job that needs to be done but you know what that father wouldn't have him any other place in the world. He wants his son to be there. He wants his son to be beside him. He's modeling him so one day that he can grow up and he can do the work, and that's how our father sees us. He wants us beside him. He wants us to partner. He wants us to work. He cares for us so much that he wants that relationship with us. What if I told you guys um, that a marriage is only based on need, or a relationship is only based on need. You would look at that relationship and you say, it's not gonna last. It's not gonna work. Because if it's only based on what you can get, there's no way they can last. And that's what happens too when we see marriages and divorce. When it's based on need, they don't last. So my marriage, I'd say we have a pretty good partnership. Don't say anything if you agree with me, sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say it's a pretty good partnership. And, and I remember one time my wife was... Um, she wasn't complaining, she was just venting, right? You know, you have a safe place in that relationship, and she's venting, and she's just telling me how stressed out she is. She's telling me just all the things with the kids on her plate, and I'm, I'm trying to comfort her, and I'm just listening, and I'm just understanding. I'm like, man, you do a lot. You do so much. There's so much on your plate. Sweetheart, I understand. And then one of the things she said that I picked up on, um, she was talking about the chores and things like that, and dishes, the dishes were one of them, too. Um, so I came home one day from work after a long day, and I was like, you know what? I can take a small sliver off of her plate. She confided in me. Let me just take something off of her plate. And so I come home, I do the dishes, get them, get them in the dishwasher, they're done. And she comes to me and she says, she goes, sweetheart, did you do the dishes? And like, I'm puffed up and I'm, you know, I'm smiling. And I'm like, yeah, your man took care of you, baby. You go ahead and sit your pretty little self down. And she says to me, She says, well, um, you didn't do them right. (laughs) It's like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do them right. I mean, it's not rocket scientists, right? You take the dishes, you put them in the dishwasher. She says, no, 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 no. What you have to do is you have to rinse them, scrub them, wash them, and then put them in the dishwasher. You've got to wash the dishes before the dishwasher washes the dishes. Well, Lowe's owes me some money if that's the case, because I feel gypped if you have to do all of that. And, um, I don't know, a couple of days pass by, a week or so like that. I'm sitting in the living room. I'm watching the game. And it's an intense game. It's the fourth quarter. They're going back and forth. It's one of those games you can't get up from. And like you're watching it, you're watching it. And she comes to me and she says, hey, I got a lot going on. I'm, I'm kind of stressed. Can you wash the dishes? And so at this point, I have a dilemma. I can do them the Kel way or I can do them the CC way, right? And so sidebar men, I think it's important for us to be servant men, leaders of our home, be able to, to serve our wives, to help them and support them in any way we find possible, right? But do as I say, not as I do. I got those dishes, I put them in the dishwasher so fast, I didn't scrub a thing. Got back on the couch, watched the game, and you know, I'm like, she won't know, like, that's, a, that's a fallacy. The dishwasher washes the dishes. And so she comes back and she says, um, you didn't scrub the dishes did you? And before I had a chance to answer her, she stops me and she takes the higher road in the situation. She goes, you know what? She said, I like the dishes done a certain way. So this will be something that I do. This will be my responsibility. I'll do it. Don't you worry about it. It's like, are you sure, honey? Do you want to do this? You know what? I didn't even give her a chance to respond. You are valued. You are heard in this marriage and this relationship. If you want to wash all the dishes, you got it. So be it. You can wash the dishes. See, with that story though, I I love my wife so much and all she does and how she supports and how she helps the household. But my love for her is not based on what she can do. My love for her is not based on how well the dishes or the house is kept or she looks as beautiful as she did on our wedding day. My love for her is not based on that. I I don't love her from what I can get. I love her because I love her. I love her because I choose to love her. I love her because I want to. And that's how God sees us. He loves us because he wants to. And the reciprocal of that is he wants us to want him. He wants us to want him back in that relationship. That's the foundation of it. He spoke, Pastor Reagan spoke about Jehovah Jireh and God is our provider, right? And a lot of times we seek the gift rather than the giver. God's like, I want to bless you, but it's because of me and it's because of this relationship. And so I want to use the rest of our time here to look at a case study throughout the scriptures. We're going to look at a character in the Bible um, through the Gospels, the apostle Peter. And so Peter, his original name was Simon. Jesus came in and he named him Cephas. Cephas means the rock. And it's fitting they call him the rock because he was leaned on so much by the disciples and even the early church Peter had walked on water with Jesus. He was one of the few blessed to see the glorious transfiguration of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was emboldened to empower the church after the resurrection to go and spread the gospel. He was the first pastor the Bible describes that led the first revival where 3000 people were saved. Yet Peter was he was average. He was average and he was flawed. He was a first century fisherman, which was a dirty job. And he'd fish all day, and he'd bring it back. He was married, the Bible tells us. He was an uneducated man. He would have been a young Jewish boy at the time when he was growing up, so he would have had his whole life practicing going to synagogue, so he knew about God and who God was. But I wonder with Peter how many times he was out on the sea fishing, thinking, God, what's the purpose of it all? Why am I even here? I wonder if you and I can relate to that sometimes. God, I come to church but I just don't feel your presence. God, I come here in this place but I feel, ab- I feel absent. God, I don't know what you wanna do with my life. I come here and I don't feel like I'm being used. You see, Peter, before he met Jesus, he would have been through, he would have known generations of generations, his father, his grandfather, were, had no word from God. There was a 400 year period of silence. And so I wonder how many days before that encounter, where he was just feeling hopeless, useless, until partnership pursues Peter. So, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20, it says here It says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was Peter, and Andrew, throwing out net into the water, for they fished for a living. So you see this dynamic of partnership. You had Simon and his brother Andrew, and the Bible tells us that James and John, they had this partnership where they would go fish. That's what they would do for their livelihood. And before this encounter with Jesus, they were going out and doing what they normally do. Verse 19, Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. See, what Jesus did, he met them where they were. He went to the lake. He entered into the place that they were. He sought them out just like he does us, church. God meets us in the place where we're at. You don't have to be good enough or have any value. He meets you in that place where you are. He seeks you out, and then what does he do? He gives you purpose. And so you see here in verse 19 in God's purpose, he says, Jesus called them out. Come follow me, I will show you. So they didn't have the ability. They had the ability to fish, but what for Jesus had for them, they didn't, have the, they didn't have the ability and he had to be shown. Jesus says, I will show you. And then he says this, how to fish for people. You see, God's purpose is bigger than you and it's bigger than your abilities of what you can do. So if you're sitting here today and you're saying, well, God, you can't use me. I don't know, well, I don't think you're letting God show you, right? If you're sitting here today and you're just comfortable in your seat in what you're doing and God's not stretching you beyond your abilities, then you're not ready to walk into partnership with him. If you're sitting here today and your world is just centered around you, your family, what you can do then God's not using you to fish for people, something bigger than yourself in church. I'm here to tell you that we're all wired to do something bigger than ourselves. We're all wired to be stretched above uh, above and beyond our ability through Christ. Verse 20. Oh man, it gets good. And it says, and they left their nets at once and followed him. They left their nets at once, and they followed him. You see, this net represents distractions. It represents your past. It represents the baggage that you're holding on to, right? You can't follow him until you let your net go. You can't follow Jesus until you're willing to drop that. And I wonder, church, what nets are we holding on to? What baggage is really stopping us from following Jesus? Maybe it's a relationship that you're in. Maybe it's a job situation Maybe it's just yourself. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's doubt. I think we all have different nets that at some point in our lives, we have to release and say, you know what? I just want to follow you, Jesus. I don't care about that. all. I don't want all that stuff. I just want to follow, follow you. And so we must be willing to, to leave our net when Christ, Christ calls us into partnership. And so the next point, he, the partnership relationship, it's a model of on earth as it is in heaven. He wants this partnership to look like heaven on earth. And that may be a familiar verse with you guys if you're familiar with the Lord's prayer. The disciples said, Lord, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. And this is a part of it. This sets it up. Matthew 6, verse 9 through 10. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And so there's this, earth, there's this heaven to earth model that he's reflecting, right? He wants earth to look like heaven. And we see that even from the beginning. Look at the Garden of Eden. That was a model of heaven, right? There was no violence. There was no death. There was harmony, there was, every, you know, everybody had as much food as they wanted to, Adam and Eve, and it was perfect harmony. And Adam actually worked for God's purpose until it didn't work, until sin entered that place and that model that God desires here on earth as it is in heaven didn't look like heaven anymore and it just became earth. And so what's, what's really important here. It says, on earth as it is in heaven, but the preface of that precedes the partnership. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. So before we can get a model of heaven, saints, we have to have his will, his kingdom, not our will, not our kingdom. We can't hold on to our net if we actually want to see heaven. It's very, very important. A lot of times we try to have our sin in one hand and our Savior in the other, and that does not work. He will not partner with your net. That's not the type of God he is. He's a jealous God, and we have to remove everything. And for this model to work on earth as it is in heaven, his kingdom has to come, and his will has to be done. So we go, we go back to Peter and... In this next step of the Gospels where we find Peter in this next passage, Peter had seen a lot at this point in his life. In this short period of time with Jesus Christ, he's seen a lot. He's seen miracles happen. He's seen a powerful sermon at the mountain Jesus teach the people and challenge the Pharisees. He's seen demons cast out, even so much so that he's done those things himself. And then we come in to Matthew 16. And there should be no question at this point, but Jesus asked a question anyways. Matthew 16, verse 15 through 17. He says, what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered. He says, you're the Messiah, the son of God. Jesus replied. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. So I don't want you to miss this, right? On earth as it is in heaven, right? So right before then, the question that Jesus asked, he asked him this. He says, who do the people say that I am? He see, he wants to know what does the world say I am? What are they saying on earth about me? And what, they, what he said, he said, oh, some people say you're Elijah. You know, some say you're the prophets. He's like, okay, that's what the world says about me, right? He says, I want to make sure that you're ready to see what heaven's unleashed. I need to know who you say. And he calls him the Messiah, the Christ. And so when he's asking this, he's asking how does culture position me? And then do you subscribe to that line of thinking? Because earth is not ready for heaven unless he has a willing vessel, unless he has somebody that acknowledges him, unless he has somebody that's willing to partner with him. And that's you and I. If we really want to say that this world here is corrupt, the wars, the famine, the poverty, and we can watch the news cycle and complain about all that. But if we want to say we want to see heaven, it starts with us. We have to be willing to enter into that partnership. It starts with us. We are the change. We are the difference, church. And he says, you want to see heaven come? You want to see heaven on earth? This is what happens next. He says, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So, right, he was revealed by his Father in heaven, not by what he said, but by his Father in heaven. And now heaven can work through him that will work through earth on the world. In the world. And so there's this beautiful complex of the Lord's prayer and what he's doing here when he asks the question. See, the Father has set forth the time of what's happening in heaven. He wants it to be revealed and unleashed on this earth. So his Son will come, and, and he will take back his bride. He will redeem his people. But it happens when heaven's unleashed on earth. And so because Peter was willing to let go of his net, his kingdom, his will, he followed Christ, he acknowledged him. What was revealed in heaven came through Peter at that point. And we have to get to the point where the center of our question becomes Jesus. So the center of our question and our answer has to become Jesus in order for us to see this revealed. We have to have our questions start to be, well, not what job you want me to take. What job should I take? It's what job, Jesus, do you want me to take? Not what relationship should I be in, but what relationship do you want to put me in? Not what should I leave behind, but God, what do you want to do for me? Not coming into this church to say, okay, I'm just a member, but to say, no, God, how do you want to use to bless me to be in partnership for your people, for your kingdom, because I want to see heaven unleashed on earth. And so if that's your prayer today, that's where it starts. That's the beginning of it. And so Peter, he gets a lesson in love as we move through. But before you see that, you start to see Peter's decline. You start to see what he goes through, what we go through that Peter went through as well too. It's kind of a falling away from God in a sense where you go through a season and you just feel like, man, I'm just, I just don't have it together. There's just so much going on. I just, I just can't, can't do it. Peter had the same thing. So directly after this question, this is what happens in this scene. Jesus predicts his death. He predicts that there will be suffering. And as he does this, as he's telling the disciples, as he's releasing what's happening in heaven for the people that he thought were ready, Peter wasn't, he wasn't ready. He wasn't fully ready at that time. Because he steps in and says, no, Lord, not on my watch. That's not going to happen. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. There's a lot of names that I wouldn't want to be called, and I think Satan is at the top of the list. He says, for you don't have things of God in mind. You have things of man. See, Peter has reverted back to in earth. He had things of man in mind. And you start to see that steady decline. Jesus tells him, hey, I need you to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what happens? He falls asleep. Then when the soldier comes, Jesus says, no, I'm still going to fight this earthly kingdom. And the soldiers come, and he slices One of the soldiers ear off and Jesus had to to fix that mistake. Then Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. He says, no, Lord, never. And then we find him later on. He cowers to a servant girl when they take Jesus away and he denies him three times. And then we move forward into our story. Jesus dies. He's resurrected. Shows himself to the disciples. Goes away again. And we see Peter goes back to his old job. He goes back to the net. He finds the net. Peter and the boys are fishing on the Sea of Galilee. He goes back to the net. And that's what happens to us, right? When we feel like God's not there, we feel like God's absent, we go back and we revert to our past. That old relationship that we shouldn't be in. Those old habits that are distracting us to be fulfilled in God's presence. It's easy to pull that old net back because that net's waiting for you. And so Peter, he goes back to the net. He's fishing. He's fishing. And Jesus sees him and the disciples, calls them over to shore, cooks them up a nice fish breakfast. Jesus, my man, the pescatarian. And he has this conversation. It's found in John 21, verse 15 through 17. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, he says, do you love me more than these And so I don't believe he's talking about the other disciples, comparing this love relationship between the disciples. I don't believe that at all. John's writing this book, and John's the one Jesus loves, so he wouldn't win that battle anyways. I think what he's talking about, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than that net? Do you love me more than that boat? Do you love me more than the old ways that you were at? Do you love me more than your past? And he says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Well, Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus said. He said, well, take care of my sheep. Then he asked a third time. He says, Simon, son of John, the old name, right? He would not call him Peter anymore. He called him his old name because he was back to his old habits. He says, do you love me? And it says, the Bible says Peter was hurt. The Bible doesn't say this um, specifically, but I believe he was hurt because he knew that he had denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus is asking him this love-based question three times. He says, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, which he did. He knew exactly where Peter's heart was, but I think he wanted Peter to know. See, God asks us a question, not for him, but for us to reveal ourselves. And he says, you know all things. You know that I love you. He said, well, feed my sheep. Church, God's partnership is always rooted in love. That's where it starts. It's rooted in love. So we ask this question, do you love me? Because if you love me, then you're ready for purpose. You can't get those backwards. Once you love me, then you're ready for my purpose. The two greatest commandments. God says, love your God and love your neighbor, right? You can't Truly love your neighbor unless you have that love for God and then that love for your neighbor. And it's all rooted in love. And Jesus knew this before he could start to use Peter in his ministry. He had to see where that love relationship stood. He wanted to see it and he wanted to reveal that to Peter. See, none of this work that you guys see here on Sunday. um, At the end of the year, they showed all the blessings you've done as a church Fostering hope, missions trips, your giving, feeding the homeless, giving out to None of that can be done unless it's rooted in love. If it's not rooted in love and it's based on a value, it won't last. And so none of this ministry is made possible. None of Jesus' worldwide global ministry is made possible unless it's rooted in love. And so he's asking, he says, do you love me? He says, then feed my lambs. Because love, it empowers us in partnership. You can't have true partnership with God unless it's based and it's rooted on love. So church, if you'll stand with me, I wonder what it would look like today. Even starting with me, if my question and my answer was centered around Jesus, in this love-based relationship, starting with me and my wife and my family, if I was able to say, I love you, it's rooted in the partnership, how different that dynamic would look. I wonder how different the church would look if everybody in here said, I wanna take on a love partnership along with you, Jesus, for your kingdom and your glory, how much the church would explode, how much we would see heaven revealed on earth if we all took this and said, man, God, I gotta release some nets in my life. I gotta let go of some things in my life. I'm trying to hold on here and I'm trying to follow you and it just will not work. I wonder what power we would see through that. You hear us talk about next steps a lot here in the church. And I believe all of us have a next step. I have a next step, you have a next step. And some of us, our next step in this partnership is to let go of your net and just to come back tonight. I know it may be an inconvenience for some of you guys but just the power of prayer and God's presence with his people and praying, he may be saying, hey, just let go of your distractions and come back. I think some of you guys just need to partner with Christ in salvation. You need to understand who the risen savior is, what he did for you, how he loves, for, how he loves you, and how you're value, valued. You're not needed, but you're wanted, and some of you guys need that. Some of you guys have been coming into the church and we love that you're here. But I think he's saying maybe your next relationship with me in this partnership is to partner with my people i want you to be more involved maybe sign up for a core class maybe sign up for a city group the body says the bible says we're a body we all have different parts we all work and we function together right but maybe you're that piece of the body that's not here or maybe somebody else has a piece that you need in your life to get past what you're getting past and god wants to use you and he wants to use it. Maybe you've been coming here and you say, Kel, I'm here, I'm involved, I do a lot for the church. And maybe you feel just a little unfulfilled right now. You don't feel God's moving, you're checking all the boxes, you're coming, you're working, but there's something there. He's not using you for your ultimate purpose. Maybe he's saying, get rid of that net of checking the boxes and doing work and just operate in love. Maybe stop what you're doing and find one person to love. See, the, the biggest impact I've had since my time here at New Hope, 13, 14 years, there's been some great, amazing sermons, but it wasn't a sermon. It was when we were young married, my wife was pregnant with our second, praise and worship, and then after service, an older couple, legacy couple for our legacy group, tapped me on the shoulder, and he says, "'My wife and I would like to take you "'and your wife out to lunch.'" Well, it was only ramen noodles at the house, so I was all over that offer, I was all good. And through that, through love, he got to know, him and his wife got to know our story. We got to know them. And we had this discipleship moment that was beautiful, that showed how he was taking God's partnership rooted in love. And then even then, he sowed a seed to our unborn child who just had our eighth birthday. Um, We'll will have it tomorrow. And it's because he used somebody that was willing to let go of earth. He probably could have used that money for whatever. He poured it in love into someone else to show God's kingdom and his partnership. Church, I wanna pray for us. If you'll bow your heads. Well, Father God, we come to you. We come to you desperate for your love, desperate for your presence, desperate to know the essence of who you are, Jesus. We come to you feeling unfulfilled, some of us weary, some of us heartbroken, some of us in relationships that need to be mended, God. Some of us need a breakthrough that need freedom, Father God. Some of us feeling what does it all mean? What is the purpose of it all? We come to you needing your partnership. We want this relationship love where you come alongside of us to empower us for your kingdom for on heaven to work as it is in earth. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now I pray right now they can step into a love relationship so they can understand what true purpose is, so that we all can work together as a body of Christ to work your kingdom to come. God, I thank you right now. Your presence is ever felt in this place. You are honored and you are loved. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.